Father in heaven, we just thank you for your glorious gift of salvation. We thank you for the wonderful hope that you placed within the heart of your people. The hope of eternity, the hope of heaven, the hope of one day being face to face with our Saviour, who has loved us with a love beyond comprehension. We would uh, have this peace, this comfort, this rest. Thank you for it, Father. And we pray for our loved ones that don't know you. Ask, Lord God, that you would draw them, that you would woo them unto yourself. Holy Spirit, that you would minister to their hearts. Father, that you would save their souls. And Lord, we pray you'd be with us today as we, as we stand before your word and, and, and ask, Lord, that your light would shine upon our hearts today. We pray for the ladies that are coming home from the retreat right now on the road, that you watch over them and keep them. And Lord, may they be refreshed and may they be excited about who you are and what you're doing in their lives and through the ministry of the women's team, Lord God. I just thank you for it. Pray, Lord, uh, you'd be with Moya. And uh, just thank you, Father, for your healing hand upon her body. You'd continue to restore Sue, Lord. Thank you for that wonderful work that only you can do. Um, we just thank you for who you are, Lord. In Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Okay, this is, this is it. Um, I'll explain myself. Um, we're calling this our family, Calvary Family Christmas. You might have seen the poster. So here's the idea. You've got to walk with me, if you will, just in your mind's eye. Um, the cafe out there is the front of your house, right? And in the front, your, the front yard of your house, there's, there's a sizable tree which you've decided with your kids to throw some lights in. You with me? So that's the tree in the, in the cafe, in the middle of the room. Um, and from there, you will walk. You, you, that's the front of your house. And there's a walk to your front door. That's the hallway here with all the pine trees. So you're at your front of your house, you're walking down through the pine trees to get to your front door, which is right there, which Steve just walked through. That's your front door, and you're walking into your living room where you are preparing for Christmas. So this is the lounge room of your homes. So it's a, Chris, it's a Calvary family Christmas. So if you, um, you've been invited to come along tonight, bring some friends to your home. That's what we're asking you. To bring some of your friends to your, to your, well, your home. That's all I'll call it. And we can celebrate and uh, sing some carols, as Steve said, and, and, uh, and focus upon... Um, family, and more importantly, what Christmas is all about. How's that sound? Did you get the? Did you get the? Did you get the? The theme. That's what we were going for. Whether we succeeded or not, I don't know. But welcome. Um, last week we were in Hebrews. 
So I thought this morning we'd finish that passage off because we didn't quite finish the passage off last week. So if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Oh, look what I brought with me today. Voila. It's finally. Oh, look. <laughs> Sorry? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very classy. I've got two pairs of these. One pair I've already broken. So there you go. All right, uh, Hebrews chapter 4. This is very familiar words from the Apostle Paul. Oh, there I go. I gave it away. Who wrote Hebrews? Warren? Yeah, gave it away. Hebrews, Paul. Hebrews chapter 4. You know this verse so well, but I wonder, do you know it in its context? That's, that's the question this morning. It says in verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharp than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit of the joint and marrow. For the word of God is quick and powerful. I've already read that. Neither is there any creature that is not... These glasses aren't working. <laughs> Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto him whom we have to do. Um, you might hear a bit of noise coming from in there. The kids are practicing their Christmas play for tonight. It's going to be good. It's, 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 you will get what Christmas is about from the kids tonight if you don't get it from us big people. Um, so anyway, you know those verses? Great plaque material, isn't it? You know, we may have it on a plaque somewhere in our houses. I don't know. Um, But God has great concern. This is what we looked at last week. God has great concern for our lives, and that is that we have rest. Remember from last week? That he he has brought rest to our souls for life. So life circumstances could be, they could be incredibly hard, or things might be going along just swimmingly. Might just be wonderful, you know. Either way, this is what God wants for us. Either way, God wants us to have or has provided for us to have rest for our souls. You know why? Because the foremost thing is that the salvation that he has provided for us rests not upon anything as tenuous as our circumstances or even our own accomplishments. Accomplishments. No, it doesn't rest of anything as tenuous as that, but it rests upon or is founded upon what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? His salvation for us. And that's, that's what the, the exciting journey of eternity is really all about. It's begun. And the promises that God has brought to us eternal hopes within our hearts, within our souls, that we will leave this life one day and go into his presence. And there's nothing that can steal that away from us. See, that's what brings the rest, right? You know, it doesn't matter how big the waves are. It doesn't matter how, how, how huge the giants are that are standing in front of us. The rest that we have in our souls is because what God has done for us. Now, I want us to look at these two quintessential verses, I call them, that speak of the power of God's word. And I believe that they are essential. In fact, this is what Paul, the writer of Hebrews, is saying. It is essential to our rest. So can we read them again? 
Do you mind? The word of God is quicker and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joint and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him of whom we have to do. Now, we all read these verses and we are quickly drawn to the, the incredible reality that this book, this book is far more than just the thoughts of man, right? Far more than just the thoughts of man, you know? We open our hearts, don't we, to the scripture. We open our hearts to the scripture that is literally, this is what God says, that is literally God breathed. He breathed his divine revelation into our souls when we open the pages of scripture. See, that's something that should excite us. It's God speaking to us. The divine creator speaking to our souls. Who here remembers? Who here remembers that first time when the word became truth in your heart? And like a knife, it just cut through all your preconceptions about who and what God is and who and what God wants and just how inadequate. This is the thing. Just how inadequate all of our self-will attempts to work this thing called life out are. And we are left, we are left, our heart is exposed to the purity of, 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 of the consciousness that God is speaking to me. Who remembers that? Who still experiences that? Every single day when you open the pages of his word. You know what I'm talking about? You know? Again, you hold that book in your hands. That phone in your hands. I wish they didn't invent that. <laughs> you hold that book in your hands and suddenly the pages, the words that come from it, are, uh, they're edible. You know, you feast upon them. What did Job say in Job chapter 23? I have esteemed the words of his mouth more necessary than my food. As far as Job was concerned, what God says was more important to feed his soul than it is to feed his physical body with a good big fat steak. You know, it enters into our being. The word does. You know, and God surgically prepares our hearts for you and I to become Christ-like. That's what the word does. Changes us, shapes us, makes us Christ-like. But if we're going, here's the thing, if we're going to be true to this text, you know what the verse actually is? It's, it's actually a stern warning, this verse. It's a stern warning. You see, the previous verse says in chapter 11, let us labor, therefore, can you see it there? To enter into the rest, lest any man should fall after the same example of unbelief. Do you remember we talked about that last week? He had given to the children of Israel. He's gone back in history. He's given to the children of Israel. Um, the most amazing manifestation of his power and presence. Hadn't he? And the example that 
the writer has given to us is that the children of Israel, they refuse to believe God at his word. They refuse to believe God at his word after all that they had seen. After all that they had seen. As I said to you last week, it is the most powerful... um, will never be foreseen example of supernatural intervention these guys saw you know they experienced their deliverance remember from Israel they experienced the protection of God through the plagues there in, in, in written recorded for us in Exodus they, 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 they experienced the very presence of God uh, his physical presence there on Mount Sinai and day after day, as they, as they left Egypt, God provided for them by his supernatural provision. You know, For two years, as they made their way, they were led by the presence of his cloud by day and by fire by night. You know the story, don't you? This amazing, incredible presence of God. You know, And after seeing and hearing everything, God said to them, Well, actually, before that, God had said to them, I have a promise and it is, I'll take you to the land. And this land is going to be like flowing with milk and honey. The promises of God, the promised land, Canaan, you know. And they arrived at Kadesh Barnea there on the eastern shores of the Jordan River. And we, again, we looked at this last week. They, they sent the spies in and they spied out the land and they came back a month later, a month later. And, and they said, it's just like God said it would be. It's flowing with, with milk and honey. But, but there was fear in their hearts, wasn't there? But they feared the inhabitants that lived in the land. And they would not trust God to give it to them, even though he has said to them he had already given them the land. And this very real account that happened with Israel is a spiritual analogy that's been given to you and I as the, of the rest that we can have if we will trust God at his word. If we will take God literally at his word. So again, verse 11 urges, urges us, urges us, urges you and I to be diligent to enter into the rest that God has given to us, but not to fall into the same disobedience that the children of Israel fell into in the wilderness. That disobedience was described as unbelief earlier in the chapter. More specifically, it's described as them, they disbelieved the good news that was being preached to them. Or, or the middle of verse 2, actually, if you look further back, says that the word they heard did not profit them. Why? Because they simply didn't believe, not just believe, they didn't believe it and they didn't trust it. Mark carefully that. Because you can believe something and not trust it. You, you can believe in the word of God and not trust it. And that's what Israel failed to do, to trust it. Because that's what faith is. It's belief and trust. And so verse 11 says, let us be diligent to enter in. Be diligent, in a sense, this is what he's saying, be diligent to hear his word. You know. 
Be diligent to hear the word of his good news. Be diligent to believe it, to be diligent to trust the good news, to be diligent to embrace it, to be diligent to hold on to it, be diligent to be satisfied by it. You know, let it be your guide. Let it be your hope. Let it be your, let it be your everything, you know. So now with that urging, he comes to the, really the climax of the whole passage and everything the writer has been saying that we looked at last week has been building up to this point to give this very, very important warning. The sober warning against disregarding what God has said. It, let me ask you, is this book important to you? That's what I want to know. Is what it says important to you? Important enough to become the, the, the very food of your soul? Because that's what God has given it to you for, right? So it says there in verse 12, For the word of God is quick and it is powerful. Quick and it is powerful. Your Bible might say it is living and it's active. And that's the idea, that it is alive and it moves quickly, it moves powerfully, it moves actively. It's active, why? Because it's God-breathed, because it's God-birthed. It's birthed in the heart of God. And being born in the heart of God and the nature and the character of God, we understand that the Bible tells us that it endures forever. All scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, does anybody know what that says? It says that it is given by what? Inspiration of God. In other words, again, it is divinely breathed. These are not human words. It is divinely breathed. It, is, it, it has the life of God in it. It is alive. It is active. It is effective. You bring all of those adjectives together that I've just sort of fumbled around with there for the last couple of minutes, you know. Bring them all together. Quick, living, active, effective. You know what it does? It gives us a sense of God's word moving powerfully towards an intended purpose. That's what God's word is. Can I say that again? It gives us an idea or, 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 or an effect that God's word is moving powerfully towards its intended purpose. Again, it's alive, it's effective, it's a moving force in this world. The Bible is. As much as people want to disregard it, it is a moving force within this world towards something. Towards what? Towards the purpose of God. Again, what was Israel's problem? What was it? They wouldn't believe his word, would they? They wouldn't trust his word. They would not trust the word so that God could move them forward into the promises, into the promised land. What did they want to do? What did Israel want to do? They wanted to go backwards. They wanted to go backwards to Egypt. You go and read the whole story in Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14. Now, read the whole story. They wanted to go back. Now, does this mean that God's purpose failed? Does it? No, certainly not. Why? Because another generation, and that's important to note, another generation of believers did enter into the promised land and did experience the blessing of God's promises. Let me tell you, and you know this, Nothing can stop the purpose of God in this world. Nothing. 
It doesn't matter what they are, what laws they're passing in Canberra. It doesn't matter. God's purposes are going to be fulfilled. We love to quote Isaiah 55, don't we? You know what I mean? Isaiah 55, verse 11. So shall my word be... So show me, let me say it again. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I purposed it to. Isn't that what it says? In fact, it says it shall prosper in the very things whereunto I sent it. It will, right? It will. Here's the thing. The question is, is not the power or the effectiveness of God's word, is, is it not, what's my question? I don't know. I don't know. Here's the question. Let me get it right. The question is, am I going, if, if the purpose of God is going to be fulfilled, the question is, am I, are you, are we as a church going to be a part of that purpose of God that he will accomplish? Are we going to be a part of it? You see, you know what Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11 is about? Again, it's another plaque we like to put on our walls. But it's speaking about the kingdom age or the kingdom of God that is to come. That's what it's looking forward to. It's coming. Christ is coming. He is going to establish his kingdom. Things are going to change. And I think it's going to happen a lot quicker than a lot of people are anticipating. It is coming. Nothing will stop it. The question is, am I, are you, are we as a church, are we going to trust God's kingdom purposes within our lives? Are we going to trust his word? Are we going to be swept along by it? Are we going to move with it? Or, like the children of Israel, is it going to pass us by? And another generation. See, that's scary, isn't it? I don't even like saying that, you know. Here's the example. Martin Luther. We all know who Martin Luther was, you know. He stood before the inquisitors. And they said to him, you need to recant what you are saying about the church or die. You know what he said? He said, I'm bound by my conscience and hold fast to the word of God. That was his answer. I'm bound by my conscience and I hold fast to the word of God. See, he believed God's word. He trusted God's word and he was swept up by the purpose of God's word to bring reformation, not only to the church, but to the world. You know, you know what he later said? He later said, I did nothing. He said, I did nothing. The word of God so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor, never a prince or emperor inflicted such damage upon it. I did nothing, he said. The word did it all. The word did it all. You know? How wonderful it is, isn't it? You know? That the living, active word of God will powerfully move us forward into the purposes of God. And all I have to do is trust it. And believe it. 
act upon it, you know. I must not, you and I, we must not let unbelief creep into our hearts and deceive us. We must not believe the lies of sin rather than the promises of God. Because that's what happens in people's lives when we will not be moved forward by the living, effective, powerful word of God. We let its purposes pass us by and we believe something else and we get swept in another direction. Here's the thing. We're always following a voice. We are. I don't care how independent any of us think we are. No. We're all following a voice, you know. But if it's not the voice of God, then there's other voices whispering to us. And sin does. It does whisper through the desires of the flesh. It really does. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 says, tells us that it's sin, our sin separates us from God. You know, it separates us from God. Look, I, I know you sometimes, and I understand, get sick of me saying this or hearing me say this, but the Bible tells us, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, never forget it. Never forget it. You should keep your heart with all diligence because from the heart proceeds your issues of life. In other, words, in other words, commit your ways to God's word and the issues of your life, the things that will become important in your life will be things of God's word. They will be things of righteousness. They will be things of God's purposes. But again, do like Israel did all those years ago disregard God's word, don't trust it, fill your heart with self-serving ideas. I want to go back and eat onions in, 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 in Egypt. Do that and that's what you will make your life all about. That, that's what happens. You see, the issues of your life will be about that which you have fed into your heart. They will become the desire and the will of your mind. You know, people always say to me, Chris, will you pray for my son, my daughter's mind? And I nearly always say, you know, yes, yeah, certainly, but let's pray for the heart first. Let's pray for the heart first. Because the heart will determine where the mind is going to go. And that's what Proverbs is saying here. Jesus described it when he said in, in, um, in Matthew chapter 15, he said these words in verse 18. But those things, you know this, which proceed out of the mouth come from where? From the heart. And they're the things that defile a man. He said in verse 19, For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murderers, adulterers, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemies. That's a horrible list, isn't it? But Jesus said it comes from the heart of a man who has not guarded his heart and not fed himself upon the spiritual food of God's word to be swept up towards and into the things of God, but rather the things of the flesh. Examples. And I certainly do not, I hope I don't offend. But here are the examples that we see happen. There's an unwanted pregnancy. So the person that is not trusting the word of God um, rationalizes in their mind 
that their only hope for future happiness is to get rid of that pregnancy. Right? Or the struggling student rationalises in their mind that their only chance, because they're struggling, to get through this exam is, is simply to cheat. Right? Or, or the girl that is desperate, it's not girl, girl boy, that is desperate for attention, rationalises that, that, they won't, that they won't be noticed if they don't start to dress and present themselves provocatively. Because they're not listening to what God has said. You know. Well, the person who's desperate for love thinks that they will lose that person who seems to care for them if they will not compromise their sexual standards. You know. The mistreated person rationalizes within their mind that only a fool, only a fool would go on allowing themselves to be insulted or attacked, and so only a fool would not strike out in vengeance. Now, every one of those statements that I just made is a lie. You know that? Every single one of them is a lie, and it's the result of disregarding the Word of God. And the danger is that those lies can lodge themselves so very deep within our consciousnesses that we find it very hard to see any other way. And we become desperate. Have you ever found yourself on the verge of doing something really, really dumb? Have you? I won't look for examples, but on the verge of doing something really, really dumb and everything within your being is rationalising and justifying it. If I go this way, if I do this thing, then, then that's going to happen, you know. But, but, but the Spirit of God is just prodding away. But, but, and you finally get drawn into the Scripture and the truth is there. I've been here so many times, people, and I just walk away from that thing, just go, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving me from the dumbest decision, the dumbest thing, because I've been led by my passions and my desires rather than the truth, rather than the truth of what God has said. God's word will keep you and it will guard you, and it will direct you. Why? Because it's alive and it's active. And it's moving towards God's intended purpose for our lives. Let's read on, um, because it's not only that, but it's also piercing. Look what it says. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharpening two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joint and marrow. That's a powerful statement. That really is. It really, really is. God's word can cut through anything and reach anybody by his conviction. That's what I was just describing, being on the verge of those dumb decisions. God's word can do it. He can get the hardest, the deepest, the most rebellious, the most secret, the most painful, the most shameful. You know, it can, op- it can open us up and expose the ugliness of the danger of those things that we are entering into. But again, but again, I've got to say, it's only if we're willing to listen. It's only if we're willing to listen. You know, you know what I fear is that so many Christians have placed this thing somewhere in their home and they know not where. You know, that's the fear that I fear. 
They're not listening. They're not opening themselves up to it. And it's such a dangerous place to be. Because the world is there, isn't it? It's telling us all the time, there's another way. There's a better way. No, 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 no. God's word is the way that moves us forward. God's word is the way that has a purpose for us. Where did I get to? If we're listening. If we're listening to allow the divine surgeon. I love that description. I don't know who said it first. If we're allowing the, to allow the divine surgeon to, to do his gracious cutting. It's got to be done, right? That, that surgery, you see. If, if I don't, I'll, I'll rationalise myself into the most awkward of positions as a believer. You know. But if I let the word have its way, the rationalisation of the flesh will be exposed as the lie that it is. Let me, let me do that list again. It will expose it as the lie that it is. Because abortion will never create a wonderful future for anyone. Neither will cheating, nor will dressing provocatively, nor will throwing away my sexual purity, nor will divorce, nor will vengeance. What do they leave? They leave scars and guilt and hurt and regret. And the voice of the enemy just condemning us over and over again. I need to hear this. I don't know about you. I need to hear this. The word of God divides between that which is soulish and that which is spiritual. That's what it does. When I say that which is soulish and that which is spiritual, when I say soulish, I'm talking about that which is, that which is of me. My own, my own imaginations and desires. Divides between that and spirit. Have you found yourself going, oh Lord, I, really, the Lord really, I think the Lord really wants me to do this, go that way or whatever? You know, because it, it just makes you feel good. You know? And if, I, if that would just be great, if this would happen and that would happen, and you start rationalizing, you start building, and you've got this whole plan worked out, that would just be fabulous, right? And, 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 and you. And you Take it to the light of God's word. And the spiritual surgeon's knife comes out and begins to open your heart up. And no, that's not wonderful at all, right? That's what God's word does. Keeps us in that path. Keeps us moving, sweeping us along. Where we could one day stand alongside Luther and say, I didn't do a thing. God's word did it all. God's word did it all. So the writer continues and he says the word is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Um, that word discerner is where we get our word critic from. Did you know that? It's where we get our word critic from. And, uh, um, so th there's this discerning judgment of, uh, um, of the thoughts and the intentions and the attitudes of the heart. That's what the Bible does for us. And, and, and so this verse is warning. Is, 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 is a warning that, that promises us self-knowledge. And I say self-knowledge from a good position, point of view. The knowledge that God wants us to have about ourselves. That we can commit ourselves to godly things, to the right things, and, uh, and trust the word that God preaches to our hearts. Um, so self-knowledge will do one or two things, won't it? Good Godly self-knowledge, it'll do one of two things. It will cause us to close our ears, right? 
and look away from God like the children of Israel did, or it will cause us to be swept up into the purposes and the plans of God. It's a wonderful couple of verses, isn't it? Really? Thank you. Thank you. I, 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 I'm just, look, I, I'm, I'm just so grateful that God has given us this thing. He's preserved it throughout history, regardless of what the, the enemies of Christ and the opponents of the gospel have attempted to do. He's preserved it throughout history and he's given us this thing that has the power the power to get inside of me and show me who I really am and, and what he's really wanting me to become. Now, remember what I said in the beginning? It's preparing our hearts to become Christ-like. That's what this does. You can't do it without it. You can't do it without it. You know. So God bless you. God bless every one of you. I hope you can take those words and make them much more than just a plaque. But let them be truth in your hearts and to lead you forward in the purposes of life. You see, I, I think, you know, personally that doing this thing called life yourself is just too much of a struggle. I love that imagery that's set up for us there that we have been swept along moved along by the power of God through his word into the things that he has for us. And, uh, and again, again, I know I've said it already, but how great it would be to stand in the twilight years of our lives and look back and say, it wasn't me. Uh, it wasn't me. But to be able to say it gratefully and thankfully, recognising that everything that's happened, the path that I've walked upon, I have been swept along with all of the highs and the lows. To, to stand in those twilight years and go, thank you, Lord, for where you've brought me. Yeah. Treasure it, people. It is the gift. It's the gift of gifts. From the heart of God to your heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you and we praise you. Lord, there is so much more that could be said. And I know there's so much more that you have written down for us. But Lord, for us today, and maybe for all our lives, the simplicity of the truth that is laid before us to lay our hearts bare simply needs to be believed and trusted. I thank you for our family here, my brothers and sisters. Pray, Lord God, that they would know the sweetness of your promises for their lives. The promised land, where, yeah, there are battles, we know, and there are conflicts to be had. But again, I thank you for your word that says you've given us the victory in Christ Jesus. You've done it all, Lord. And in that truth, we rejoice. And in that truth, we rest, Lord. We rest in that finished work. And I praise you for it, Father. In Jesus' most precious name. Amen.
down beside you, oh.